Well, this, the scoreboard said I lost today, but what the scoreboard doesn't say is what it is I have found. Tense Connected Studios for February 7th, 2021. I'm Nima Nadari alongside Parsa Sami, and we're here this week to preview the Australian Open. Before we begin this week's show, let's introduce our co-host, Parsa. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. We're back at it, Nima. Back at it after the U.S. Open. So it's been, uh, it's been quite a while since we've been able to talk to everybody out there, which is great. And I uh, hope every, everybody out there is safe, doing well. We're obviously still in the, uh, the COVID-19 era, which is unfortunate. But uh, somehow, some way, we have the Australian Open starting later today, actually, in about, well, I would say, 10 hours. So it's, uh, it's crazy that, I mean, Craig Tilly and the, you know, Tennis Australia went through so much uh, to get this event going, and, you know, kudos to them. It's not an easy thing by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of sacrifice across the board uh, through, you know, in terms of the country, the federation, the players, the, the volunteers, staff, everybody. So let's see how it goes. Hopefully we get some great tennis because we all deserve it and we want to watch something and keep us up late at night and we have nowhere to go in the morning anyways except work from home. So uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting year. Um, so Parsa, what are your just initial thoughts, just generally on the tennis vibe coming into this year? Obviously, it's a year like no other. Uh, starting the year with COVID as opposed to last year when it really started coming in around March when Indian Wells and Miami were canceled. So, uh, what what are your initial thoughts coming in? Yeah, I, th- I think it's highly unusual. Um... Now, the good news is, for the players anyway, that it's always a different circumstance in every different match or every different tournament. And this is another wrinkle that is being put forth um, with, if you've read through the news, uh, the quarantining of the players in Australia and you know Djokovic getting some, some, I don't know if you call it negative press. He's just saying the truth, so I don't know why people get on him about it, but the press loves to get on him about it. Um, and you know, you see some, some players that are itching to get out there and, um, play hard and and do their thing. And, um, I will tell you, I, I watch a lot of, not a lot, but I watch sports and it's unusual, you know, without fans and things like that. It's, it's definitely not as fun. Um, you know, the, the tennis itself, if there was no fans watching, which it, it makes it exciting or whatever it is. I mean, I'd kind of rather play myself. You know, I, I do enjoy watching tennis quite a bit. I love the fan interaction. Um, and that goes the same for NBA basketball, for NFL football. Um, they're all very enjoyable sports when you have the, the you know, they call it the extra man, right? It's, it's like the crowd can push athletes to levels that even the athletes don't know they can get to. They become one with, with the energy in the stadium and, 
I think that's the only thing that's missing. Um, otherwise, you see a lot of hunger and people want to make a living. Um, in tennis, you're, you're not making money if you're not playing. So it's something that um, you see players clamoring to play. You see fans wanting to watch something. So that's a good formula. I just, you know, maybe it's just not the same as it was, but hopefully soon everything will return. Yeah, and I think, you know, let's start off today's uh, podcast discussion um, with some thoughts on Rafa Nadal because you're talking about being hungry and, and wanting to play and I mean probably nobody's as hungry as I would say probably Nadal, Serena and maybe Djokovic those are you know a couple guys a couple players you know men, men and female who really like to get out there and, and win titles and Rafa hasn't played at all I mean he came down early he did a couple week quarantine in Adelaide with Sinner who subsequently won a tournament yesterday and uh you know, it looks like they, they beat the heck out of each other in Adelaide because Nadal hasn't played one match and Sinner looked exhausted yesterday in, in winning his second career title in Melbourne. Um, so, and he plays Shapovalov tonight. And I think you got to take probably Dennis in that one. But, you know, thoughts on Nadal here. Okay, so here's the thing. Some weird stuff has always happened to him at this tournament, right? Like he had that final against Rorinka, his back seized up, couldn't play. You know, he's last year, you know, team took him to the woodshed pretty convincingly. He hasn't won this tournament since 2009 in that epic year where he beat Verdasco in like five hours. And then he beat Fed in that five setter and Federer started crying and he hugged him. Remember at the trophy ceremony, which was epic. Like for me, Nadal's not going to win this tournament ever again. I'm just being very honest. I don't think so anyways. Um, and and definitely, I mean, does he does he give it a go, in your opinion? I think we're going to find out very soon. He doesn't have to play. Prob they're probably going to put him Tuesday night. So he's still got like almost two days to figure it out. Um, but for me, knowing Rafa, right, he's the kind of guy who he needs something. Like He doesn't necessarily need to win, you know, the, the ATP Cup. But I think he would have wanted to get two or three singles matches in. Right, since he hasn't played since the tour finals and and uh, Paris last year, where frankly he played really bad, in my opinion, and uh, he didn't play the U.S. Open, played amazing at the French Open, and he hasn't really played well on hard courts. And I don't know what what are your thoughts on on his mindset coming in? Do you think he gives it a go? I think he does, and if he does, realistically, what what do you think his prospects are of doing well? We'll get into the draw in a bit, but. Just generally, what do you think? You know, I, I think Rafa will try, um, but you already know he's not going to make it to the end, right? If, if he's coming in with some sort of injury already, you know, it's very hard to go through the brutality of best of five for seven matches to get there again, you know? Um, so I think that that's, that's ultimately what it is, you know, however, um, you know, it, it's it's concerning, to say the least. And, you know, we know, right? We know the brutality he plays with. So we know that his body isn't going to be able to hold forever. And um, clearly it's not going to be his mind that's going to be like, ah, I don't want to play tennis anymore. You know, it's going to be his body. And same thing with Federer, right? I mean, we don't, we talk about Nadal because he's, he's a little bit more closer to what his prime was, which he's now exited his prime. But um, what about Federer? You know, he's two surgeries and 
you know, if there's anything that's going to take this guy out, it's injuries, you know. And so these guys are, are proven warriors and they're not going to give in at any at any cost. And, you know, will he give it a go? I think he'll give it a go. But but ultimately injuries is going to be the, you know, what's going to set him back. And, you know, with the delays of COVID and all these things, it's it's obvious that, you know, things are going to get more difficult as they get older. You can see it with Serena, you can see it with Federer. Um, so, you know, to, to Nadal's credit, Nima, we did say this like five years ago, he was kind of done and he wasn't done. He became number one in the world again. So, you know, he's got 20 grand slams, but you know, the, how is he going to do this go around? I mean, it, father time will win. That's for sure. Always does. Yeah. And I think my, the bottom line here, Parsa, right, is he's at 20 tied with Federer. Djokovic at 17. So even if Djokovic wins his tournament, he's at 18. Federer's not coming back till Doha next month. Djokovic not winning the French. Uh, sorry, Federer is not winning the French for sure. Only chance he has. I think Federer this year, only focus is, is, is that he has is primarily his Olympics and Wimbledon, right? It's going to be for sure his last Olympics and m maybe last one or two Wimbledons. And this remains to be seen if he's going to win Wimbledon. I don't. I don't. I think he's done. But like Nadal has a chance to get to twenty-one and be by himself, and definitely he's got the best chance of doing that, right? So you got to think that's kind of in his rearview mirror, right? Like as much as it's still February, you know, you got March, April, May. It's three months away because this is obviously a delayed also Australian Open. So this is going to take us almost till the end of the month, right? So then it's almost March. And then it's pretty much let's go clay courts, right? So, you know what I mean? I think they're going to do Miami. He's never won that either. So maybe he just skips. Maybe he'll play Miami or whatever. But he'll. I think he's playing Rotterdam as well too, which is surprising. But nevertheless... His primary focus this year is winning the French Open for, what is it, the 14th time? I don't know. I don't even... Something. I, I think yeah. it's 14 now, right? I think he has 13, right? So if he wins the 14th French Open, he'll have 21 Grand Slams. And Djokovic still got to win the French, which he won't win because if Nadal wins, then he's got to win Wimbledon, U.S. Open. He'll be at 20. Then next year, he'll go for 21. But that also, again, remains to be seen. So I think that, you know, Rafa, he'll give it a go. The, the priority is not to win this tournament because he won't and just get ready for the French Open. So that's my thoughts on, on Rafa. Moving on, Parsa to Serena comes in again. Credit to her going for her 24th, you know, playing pretty good. You know, she made the semis but and she withdrew from a warm-up tournament. Precautionary, I guess, because she didn't want to, you know, over-exert herself. Got in some matches like she wanted to. Perfect. You know, her and Mortoglu look like they're they're in good spirits. Again, love to see all of this. But again, Parsa, you just got to think something is going to upend her. Somebody's either going to come in hot, injury, you know, something's going to happen to her, her ankle, or I just don't think she moves as well. That's that's really... She doesn't, and that's yeah, honestly, which is normal at 39 years old. Yeah, know? turning 40 soon, right? And I think that that's, for me... Bottom line, Serena Williams is amazing, and I like seeing her out there. And you know, I still like watching her play, but 
I mean, she's got, you know, her, her quarter is, is, we'll get into that in a bit, but essentially she's got really, she's got to worry about Halep and uh, Sabalenka, who's coming in in form. We'll talk about her in a bit, but I just, I really don't see her winning this tournament. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe Wimbledon's her, her best chance, but I would be shocked if she wins this tournament. What, what are your overall thoughts? I think she's going to win something, and then I think it's going to be over. You know, I, I don't see her playing beyond 24. I think this has been probably the, the hardest challenge. She's had opportunities and, and has come up short and um, all sorts of drama surrounding it. And then, you know, now she's got another tough mountain to climb. I, this feels a lot like Pete Sampras at the end, if you remember, Nima. Um, you, you, you know, he just hustled and grinded his himself out to one more title and then that was it. Um, and it was like a, a fairy tale story. I, I kind of feel like Serena's going to do the same thing. I don't know if it's going to be this one, but I do feel like it's either here, Wimbledon, or the U.S. Open. Um, you know, and, and I just feel like that that this is how it's meant to be. Um, and it started as a struggle, um, and it's going to end as a struggle. And but But you know, the queen bee is, is going to be the number one, the, the one on top. So I just feel like that's, that's the Hollywood ending right there. So let's see how it unfolds. That would be great to see. And definitely she deserves it. Uh, Nike put out a nice uh, hero tea pack for her with, you know, commemorating all of her, uh, you know, her championships and her glories, put that up on the website for anybody who wants to check it out. But yeah, it would be great to see. I mean, it's great for the fans. She gets a lot of viewers, massive fan base. So, you know, let's see how it goes for her in the next week or so. On to the next topic, which is Novak Djokovic going for his ninth title down here. So, Parsa, this is what I like about Djokovic on top of the fact that he's won his tournament eight times. Came in uh, to the ATP Cup. They lost in the semis, I believe, to Germany. And what I liked about that is that he lost. Because you never see these guys play super high-level tennis the week before a Grand Slam. We're in this very weird year where you know everything is so compact coming in because of quarantines and stuff that they had to play. So it's, it's really gassing a lot of guys coming in. So maybe that's also Nadal's trick. You know, we didn't even talk about that, right? Maybe he's like, I don't want to play like matches before I practice with Sinner for two weeks. I'm still hitting, and so I'm good enough. But anyways, going back to Djokovic, I like the fact that he was super competitive. He was really happy to be out there he hitting the ball really well he loves this court it's the same court that he's going to be playing on which again is unheard of right because you're playing actual matches not just practicing on it i mean this is just you know you know when you go to the jackpot and you pull it down and everybody looks at you because all the coins are falling out of the bottom that's to me what this is looking like for djokovic here i, I don't i would be really surprised if he doesn't win this title I just I don't I don't know how it's not going to happen for him, but I I really like the fact that he didn't go deeper actually in the ATP Cup because it would have even taken more energy out of him. He's had a few days now to really chill. You know he's super professional. He's getting ready. He knows more than anybody exactly what it takes to win this title. And I think number nine is is coming right up. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I mean Djokovic is is. You know who's his rival right now? You know you you you've got old guys, and then the young guys have not proven to be worthy enough to to hang with him. Um, you know you've got what was that? 
Yeah. So, you know, he's on a, on a island by himself. Um, and there are going to be younger guys like Medvedev or, you know, I looked at his draw. I mean, Vavrinka, I guess, possible on a one-off. Um, very difficult. Um, there's not a lot of competition in his way that can battle through him. Um, you know, but fair enough. At his age, we can also start talking about the injury bug, too. You know, he's largely, you know, with some elbow problems a couple of years back and you know, for the most part has been relatively healthy, but he also shows that when he does get battered and bruised, he's not the best player. You know, he doesn't play that well with injuries. Um, it gets into his head and he gets more emotional and things like that. So we've seen Murray at his age um, sort of succumb to injuries. We're seeing Nadal, we're seeing Federer, you know, Djokovic is, has been relatively healthy in the, in the legs and the back and so on and so forth. It's always been his shoulder, his elbow. Um, I think that's his biggest rival right now is his body. And, um, you know, he should be subscribing to the LeBron James school of body care because, you know, it's amazing what LeBron's doing in the NBA right now. And, um, you know, Djokovic could similarly follow that path. Um, if he, if he was consciously spending, you know, a lot of time and energy on keeping his body healthy. Um, and in terms of this tournament, I, I think it's exactly, the, exactly what I was just saying. So I think the number one opponent is his body. Um, and then there's some younger guys who want to make a name for themselves. So they could be coming after him, but of those younger guys, who's really got the confidence to beat him in a best of five, you know, you have to. 100% believe in yourself, not not the kind of belief that's like, you know, if everything goes right, I know I can win. No, not that kind. Like, it, it has to be the guy's coming in, first point in the match, and he's like, I'm going to beat you, you know, and go after you. And it's got to be like that for three, four, five hours, whatever it's going to take. And do we, can you name one guy offhand that's ready to do that, Nima? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, but Nadal's not going to do it this tournament. It's not going to happen. So, so it's 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 slim pickings here, um, you know. And, and he is not the kind of player that has like a lot of off days, you know. Um, you know, and you could see you could see big matches, you know. You know, I could see him going five against a lot of these guys. I just can't see these guys winning, you know. Um, I think it's a whole different animal for for them to overcome. And you know, Sinner is is a guy who's going to is Sinner going to be ready this year I don't know but soon he will um but you'll have an aging Djokovic and a, a sinner who's rounding into his prime you know that guy can play um know that about that so is he ready now I don't know no question um all right well we'll talk about Novak in a bit talking now um to some back to the women's side here so we're talking about Sabalenka uh, played amazing to end 2020, played incredible to start 2021. But I believe she's never got past the fourth round of a major. Uh, she's also drops in Serena's quarter here. And, I mean, Parsa, what what are your thoughts, if, if any, on her? I mean, she's, to me, you know, big, strong Belarusian, you know, comes in, hits, hits the crap out of every ball. But uh, does she have what it takes you know, to, to win this title and, you know, just offhand, what do you like about her game and what do you think is holding her back 
in you know in, in claiming a, you know a Grand Slam title. Who, what I'm sorry, it's cut out there. Who are you talking about? Yeah, so I mean, look, Sabalenka has always been a smasher. Um, you know, could she really put it together and? Again, this, this so much of this level is coming down to the emotional and mental fortitude and and the growth. And it's unfortunately the things that from a distance we can't tell what's going on between their ears. You know, before when we were off air, you were talking about Barty and can can Barty handle the pressure of the Australian Open? We really don't know. Only thing we do know, the data we know is that she hasn't in the past. And the same thing goes with Sabalenka. So Sabalenka has is one of those players that although she is playing at a physical level that she has never played at before right now, which is very positive. She's been the player that has found ways to lose in the past. So you couple those together. I've got my, my palms in the air. How do we know? How do we know until she really does it? Um, I would say that her best chances are right now because she's playing at the best physical level she's ever played at. So um, you know, has she come over the demons of, of the slams and things like that, that it takes to win seven matches in two weeks? It remains to be seen, but I think she's as fit as she's going to be probably ever physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. I, and again, I like what I see from her. Very uh, quirky personality too, off court. I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but she's always putting up some weird stuff there. So, but again, good for the game. And, uh, I mean, very playful personality, kind of like an Azarenka. I mean, for, they're both uh, from the same place. So we'll see how that it goes for her. But I definitely hope she, I mean, she has a deep run here. It would be good to see. Moving back now to the men's side, we have Felix Auger-Aliassim recently changed to Adidas from Nike, which was honestly a shock to me because I know a lot of guys at Nike. And, you know, when I was down in Portland in 2015, they were just stoked to get him. His dad didn't want to commit yet because he was too young. He didn't want him to get a big head. So then a couple of years after that, it happened. And even Adidas, everybody was bidding for him like crazy. Nike got him. And then I guess his contract was up for renewal. And I mean, Adidas probably came in with some serious cash. And Nike didn't want to match it, which to me is, is, is really astonishing with, you know, you know Maria Sharapova bowing out and, uh, you know, Fed has obviously been gone for a while. I know Nadal's contract is up for renewal. So you got a lot of cap space opening up there um, in the tennis division. But, you know, Felix is gone and uh, it's going to be interesting. But to see what, what happens with him and how long he stays with the three stripes. But back onto the tennis, Parsa. I mean, 0-7 now in finals. Loses to Dan Evans meekly. May I add, let's be honest, I like the kid. He's a great kid. I mean, amazing morals and just, you know, he's super professional. But he goes down like 2-3, and 0-7, oh and 0-14 and oh and in sets. Like, what's what's going on with this guy? What's the, like, you know, he's obviously a lot of time still. Will he win a 250 by the time he retires? For sure. But at this stage... When you're only like 2021 20, and you're 0 and 7 in finals, and you got a guy like Sinner who's already 2 and 0, and he's a bit younger than you, how does that make you feel? And why is Sinner 2 and 0, and why is Felix 0 and 7? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, clearly there's a, a a mental block that's developed there. You know, the first couple, it's 
you scratch it off to a lack of experience with the next five. Um, obviously, there's there's a, a a pattern there, right? And it's not a good pattern, um, you know. And and clearly, he's having trouble folk not, you know, bringing what he needs to do in order to be successful in in that moment. And he's thinking about if I win this match, I win the tournament, which is, you know, the, the killer of, of all of it. Um, at the same time, you know, maybe it's something telling about his game too, Nima, right? He's playing the other best player in the tournament, right? So he's not playing someone who's struggling or is earlier in a round or whatever it is. You're playing someone who is also at an extreme high level in that very moment. So maybe he's having a little bit of trouble, which, which sort of his ranking tells you that, right? When you're 20 in the world, which is amazing, don't get me wrong, but when you're 20 in the world and you're not top five or top seven in the world or, or something of that sort of stature or level, it's because your, your consistency isn't there yet, right? It's the same thing for someone who's 50 versus someone who's 20 versus 20 versus someone's five. Um, so I, I also think that you have to navigate against the best players. And if the best players are able to get to your weakness more than you can get to theirs, or they can play favorable patterns in certain moments in big time matches, like a final, you're, you're going to be in trouble. You know, generally in a 250, the guy who is playing the best physical tennis is going to win the tournament. Um, and, you know, I think Felix plays an all around very good game. Um, but I'm not sure what, I can't specifically tell you, and maybe you can tell me better, but I can't specifically tell you where Felix dominates before, besides being really freakishly athletic, a really, really, really talented player, really good, but he serves really well. He has forehands really big. You know, he moves really well. But what's, what is next level on him? Can you answer that, Nima? Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a good point because we're going to get to the Russians in a, in a second, but like when you think of Rublev, you think forehand when you think right. of medvedev you think backhand when you think of kyrios you think serve when you think of felix you think all around and if we're going all around and you talk about a guy like grigor dimitrov well look at how his career has unfolded good career i think got up to about three in the world won the tour finals won cincinnati won a bunch of other events but never won a slam Frankly, we'll never win a slam, and you know that's 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 what it is. So, do I think Felix has a higher ceiling than Dimitrov? I do. Um, I think his base level is very good. I I don't know. I mean, I just I think you know, and I and I believe I talked about this in the podcast last year. I just think he doesn't know what to do yet. Like he has so many options that he hasn't like he's not like let's redline my forehand like rublev you know like just bang 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 or you know play creative or it's just kind of well let's can i can i cut you off for a second Let, let's reverse it and go to a erotic career right erotic with his lone slam that he won he was absolutely hitting the bejesus out of the ball and then as his career went on he became more of an all-around all-court player right and look how that played out for him. Yes, he was 10 years in a row a top 10 player, which is incredible consistency, you know, but he never won a slam. So, and he had a huge serve and his, the rest of his game was sort of muted. You know, he became a better mover. His backhand got better. His variety got better. He started to finish at the net better, but like everything was really good. Nothing was 
outstanding, you know, and or or different than the rest. And, and I, you know, Felix is going into that mold a little bit. He's he's does everything really well, you know. And so as much as I, an all core player will always take time to more time than someone who has a singular weapon, you you also you can't be muted while you're doing that, you know, and, and I feel like Felix falls into that. Like a lot of the times, like you'll see in in those finals, his first serve percentage drops, you know, and he starts to spin more serves in and it, it's like a cumulative effect, but it's, it, it's a little bit, um, I think a little bit more deeper than sort of knowing what he has to do. You know what I mean? I, I, I think, there are one or two patterns he can play, but that's how his game is set up. His game is set up as an all-court game. As, and, and maybe it's just too many patterns, you know? Point being that when I bring up the Roddick thing, Roddick had one singular plan that tournament that he won the US Open. He was hitting the crap out of it and serving huge, you know? Then later in his career, he became about, oh, I'm trying to, you know, get the guy to lift the ball in his backhand so I can step around and hit a forehand to the open court. He wasn't doing that when he won, you know? And I th- feel like Felix is trying to do that, but he, he doesn't have that what is that singular thing that's just going to win me the match anyway? You know, um, it's, it's almost like a weird, he's got like a Nadal type of mindset set up, except it doesn't seem like he grew up on clay. So it doesn't move all that well on clay. So, so the, the clay quarters are tacticians at heart first, you know, and then are, um, hitters and and things like that and physical presences afterwards you know kind of like the nadal mold growing up on clay um you know what i mean do you get what i mean yeah no i hear you and then so just to end off on this one so why has a guy like sinner already proven to have a better career than felix has had and why is he more what do you like about his game and what do you what do you see with him? Because you already talked about him challenging Djokovic. Maybe not this year, yep. but it's coming up. That's a pretty big yep. thing to say. And I know you, and I know you're not just saying that because he won a tournament today. It's not only oh, I didn't even know. So there you go. But yeah, no. Uh, why? What I see in Sinner is, um, you know, one, I I do follow him in in you know off times. I I I look him up once in a while to see what he's doing. He's always practicing with big guys. He's always learning. Um, that's a number one. Number two, he has the type of style of play that he can take it out of your hands. You know, you're his opponent. You have no say in what's going to happen. And that's what Felix is missing. Um, and I think when you have that ability, even, even if it's just for, let's say, five points a match, as you grow older, you will learn how to do that for 20 points a match. And where it doesn't matter if you're playing – Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic combined in one human being on the other side, they're still going to lose those 20 points no matter what. You know what I mean? That's the difference. Um, if you think of um, all the great players that we've seen in our in these eras recently, you know, Federer um, with the way his pinpoint precision is with his serve, you have, you, you, your hands are tied, you can't do anything. Or with Nadal, when he's, when he's dictating with his forehand on clay, you're done. You're, you, there's no one that, that can counteract it. It's not happening. It has to be a, a, a slow surface day where the ball's not bouncing high for you to even have a, a shot at Roland Garros. It doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. You know, or Djokovic, when he locks in on a hard court and he's moving you around the court and you, you, can't, you can't penetrate the ball through him, what are you going to do? Like you're, you're just simply, you're going to lose. And I think that's what Felix is missing. And I think that's what Sinner has. Um, Sinner's got like 
I would say five to seven points a match right now where he takes your 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 ability away just because he's going to be that much more dominant. And and those five to seven are eventually going to turn to 10 to 14 points, and then it's going to turn into 20 to 28 points a match. And that's when you're going to see him really compete against the big ones or for the big ones. Yeah, yeah. And and I just I liked what, what I'm seeing from that kid, man. And I think he's going to have a fantastic career. And he's going to probably lose tonight against Shapovalov. But uh, I think, I mean, just watch out for him. Like, the guy is coming up like gangbusters and uh, just very impressive. I mean, let's let's just call, leave it right there. And we're going to get be talking about Sinner for many years to come. Um, two more points here, Parsa. Nick Kyrgios had about a year off, came back, beat a couple very lower-ranked guys in the first, second, first and second round. And then he played against Chorich, and he's complaining about his knee and loading, couldn't serve big, and broke his racket, threw it into the crowd. You know, came up with really, you know, Nick Kyrgios type of behavior. And again, say this as I've always said this: I'm a huge fan. I love watching him play. I don't think I've missed a Nick Kyrgios match in last five years. I can tell you I've missed a lot of Nadal matches. I've missed a lot of Djokovic matches. I've missed a lot of Federer matches. I haven't missed any Nick Kyrgios matches. But in saying that, I'm honestly very disappointed in his behavior and in his professionalism. And he keeps talking about my way, you know, my journey. And I get, okay, that's no problem, man. You want to wear Jordans and work out instead of proper running shoes and not tie your shoelaces and play video games. That's all good. But the thing is, is that like you've had a year off and you had exactly what you wanted right you were at home you were in australia you didn't have to travel you didn't play the u.s open you didn't play the french open you like you've been there and you're still injured like your knee hurts like what do you what's going on man like and you're like what 26 now and this is going to be you know what like the 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 you know the sun is setting rather quickly on this guy and it's frustrating because I I still look back at those I, again, Parsa. A lot. I mean, I, if anybody has seen those matches, you know, hit me up on Twitter. But you know, I remember watching those challengers that he was playing in Sarasota like five, six, seven years ago, and I was like, I haven't seen a guy this good since Nadal. Just coming out, like you talk about, like what Felix is missing. He had all of this stuff: serving massive yep. forehands just everywhere winners backhand super clever amazing placement moving well great touch drop shots just super and and then you know again i'm not i'm not like knocking the guy if he gets nervous and he has you know some some you know mental issues and stuff like that i respect all of that but it's it's come to a point where like don't you want to win man like don't you want to win a tournament that's worth winning like this guy hasn't even made the tour finals yet like to me that's embarrassing if i'm nick Kyrgios, i haven't like jack sock has made the tour finals and the guy's like eight thousand in the world now he's not even playing the australian open you know what i'm saying like he's better than jack sock he's better than dimitrov he's better than david goffin like and he's not he's nowhere he's like 45 in the world just hanging around there and to me it's just it's it's really astonishing how much he doesn't care about results even though he probably cares but he's just really not willing to do anything about it and 
I, I, I really don't know, man. I, I don't know what the future is going to bring for Nick. I really wish him all the best. And I will definitely watch all of his matches this year. I'll tell you that right now. But I, I, I just, I, I don't see any light at the end of this tunnel at the moment. What are your thoughts on that, Parson? Yeah, I mean, Kyrgios is um, an enigma, right? I, I guess, I mean, we have to see. You know, he, he hasn't played in a while. And, and that's going to lend itself to injury, right? He's not used to the abuse. So all of a sudden, and, and he doesn't, you know, I watch his Instagram. I actually follow him on Instagram because I like him a lot. And, um, you know, his practices are, you know, he's sort of just hitting around with some some people. And, you know, they're, they're, this is not like sliding around. And he really, he does compete hard, you know. Um, but he wastes a lot of energy. And, and because he's not always sharp, you know, he wastes a lot of energy in the early rounds. And he can't unload later, you know. And that's what these people you know, these, these big time champions learn is that they, they take care of business early on, they improve on their games. And, and then it's, you know, it's on like Donkey Kong when it comes to the big time players. And, um, that's just simply not what's happening with Kyrgios. And, you know, um, it's kind of the same old story. It's sad because I'd love to see him. I love to watch him too. And, um, I'd love to see him win. And, and I think he'd be great, but I don't think he wants it anymore. I mean, it's pretty safe to say that. That's exactly what it is, and that's we have, we really have to leave it at that because I'm not going to be losing any sleep over Nick Kyrgios <clears throat> not caring about his career. So, um, last one, definitely two guys who do care, and it's coming up really, really big. They just won the ATP Cup uh, last night. Um, Andre Rublev and Daniel Medvedev. I mean, talk about two guys who are in form, winning a lot, and. Uh, you know, it's just, it's nice to see. I, I mean, I never thought that Hatchinoff would be the third guy in this group. But it's, you know, Hatchinoff is kind of like, what's going on, right? Like, what happened to me, right? Like, you know, I, he won a couple titles a few years ago. He's playing well. And, you know, now Medvedev's been on fire and he's winning a lot. And, you know, Rublev's just this guy who's, who's, who's crushing it, won five titles last year, you know, won the ATP Cup, just winning, 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 crushing guys, like three and two, one and two. I mean, he, he beat Fognini yesterday. And Fognini, Parsa, I don't know if you watched that match, but, you know, Fognini came up to the net and he was like, he didn't say anything. He just patted him on the chest and he goes, good, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's like, you whip my ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm good with that and all good, dude. Like, you know, all the best. Now, here's the thing, and this is a very important fact to me and, and, and point, and I, and I brought this up on, on Twitter last night. Does For me, Andre Rublev reminds me a little bit of James Harden in the NBA, where you have a guy who is very flashy. People want to pay money to watch him. He's going to come up regular season, light it up, 250s, 500s, 1,000s. He's there. Even slams, he's going to make a quarter, stuff like that. But when you get to the latter stages, just like Harden does, they put you know a harder defense on him, and he's just not affected. And you saw that year after year in Houston, and he was just scratching his head, the management scratching his head. Then he stopped trying this year. He wanted out. Now he's in your neck of the woods in Brooklyn in a stacked yep. team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. If he doesn't win now... I mean, the guys, it's not going to happen for you, buddy, because you got, you know, you have three of the top 10, three top 10 players in the league on the same team. You know, there may be too many egos there, but we'll see how that transpires as it goes forward. But 
obviously that's a team sport tennis is individual and i think rublev is not an egomaniac and he, he just wants to win and he tries hard but when you look at his just game you look at a guy memorable forehand maybe one of the best in the world super fast very competitive very fit very professional but when i look at his game he's just got this hot high octane game and you know he's bashing his serve now he's, he's pumped that up with fernando vicente his coach credit to him coach of the year last year but do you see at the end of the day do you see rublev if we're look, putting our coaching caps on do you actually see this guy winning grand slams because look at who's ahead of him right now we got the Zarevs and the Sissipeses and the Medvedevs and you got still Nadal, you got Djokovic, Federer is still their team who's probably going to be the next world number one. Do you see this guy being able to break through those guys? Obviously, I know Federer, Nadal, Djokovic are getting older, so there's going to be some room there. But then when you look at his counterparts and guys like Sinner and Shapovalov, you know, coming up and some other guys, do you see his game being able to transcend and, and become a dominant figure in the game and not only win like 500s and 250s, but win two or three majors? I don't think we're going to see dominance like we saw with Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, by the way. Um, I, I see a lot more parity in the top. you talking about, you just named seven players really easily that are really good um you know so I, I think it's actually going to bring a level of excitement to tennis that we haven't had but all those guys you know how about this how about i just say yes i think rublev belongs in that group okay and yes i think he's going to be one of eight contenders every single grand slam that we have how awesome is that you know so I do think he be belongs in that conversation with the Sinners, the Shapovalovs, the Tsitsipas, those kinds of, of guys and those kinds of players. So, you know, there you go. There's your answer. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in Rublev. I, I feel like he's got the, he's got the, he, you know, he's got a little bit of a, of a hole in him, if that makes sense. Um, without saying the word, you know, he's just, he's just, he, he's got that, that thing that's necessary in order to bring it to the next level. And, and he just, he will go to unconscious levels in order to get the victory. And, and that's sort of what you need. Um, whereas you look at some of the other players, you know, Shapovalov may be more talented, but I don't know if he's got that right mentality to get all the way there. Like I'm more sure of what Rublev can do than Shapovalov. I'm more sure of what he can do then even Pass in, in a Grand Slam, I, I feel like there's more refinement. You know, I think Medvedev leads the class there um, in terms of guys who are mentally stable enough to get there. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't put Rublev too far behind him, put it that way. So if you've got eight of those players besides the Djokovic and Nadal Federer um, that have that level, I think mentally – He's a little bit. He's definitely in the in the top fifty percent of that that eight person group. Okay, yeah, and I think he's good for the game. And I, again, unlike a Kyrgios, he's a guy every week he show he wants to win every single match that he plays, which is great to see. And you see it like I've always gravitated towards players that wear their heart on their sleeves because you can. There's no hidden agenda or secrets there. You know what I mean? Like even Medvedev, you know he cares. But he's very stoic in his in his demeanor, right? So you don't really, you know, you, he's kind of like a little bit robotic and in that sense boring. But 
you know, Rublev's kind of got that David Ferrer, you know, I'm, let's go, I'm, I'm super fit, I want to do well, but obviously he's got much more firepower and his ceiling is much higher, even though Ferrer had a tremendous career in his own right. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes down for him. And then, I mean, obviously they got Medvedev, they got Hatchinov, they got, you know, some strong players in Russia, probably going to be one of the top countries in the world for, for years to come. So Parsa, to end off here, let's quickly, you know, go through the draw, um, starting off with the women's, we got Ash Barty, who um, who won obviously a tournament yesterday. She comes in, uh, you know, as a number one seed in her quarter. We got Benchich and and Pliskova. I think I'm gonna be going with Pliskova to come through that quarter. Uh, then we got in the second half, we got Sofia Kennan, who's the defending champion. Definitely don't see her winning this title again. Maybe quarters. I think she gets upended. I think even a player like Azarenka could have a good event and, and come through here. So I'm going to take her to face off against uh, Pliskova in the semifinals. And then as we move forward to the second half of the draw, interested to see how Andrescu does. Uh, you know, first tournament back in probably like about a year and a half. You got Osaka in her quarter. We got about six Grand Slam uh, champions in this quarter part. So we got Andrescu, we got Venus Williams, we got uh, Petra Kvitova, Garbin Muguruza, Angie Kerber, as well as Naomi Osaka. So it's pretty loaded in that in that uh, capacity. Um, but I'm gonna go with Osaka to come through. I think you know she's gonna ride on the on the wave of the U.S. Open. She plays well here. She's won this tournament before as well, too. Uh, and then we go back now to the, the fourth quarter. Sabalenka, we, we, we touched on her uh, and her lack of form in the majors compared with her amazing form outside of the uh, of the Grand Slams. You have Serena William here and then Simona Halep for me as the top three names. And I think you're going to have to go with Halep. I think she has what it takes to, to come through here and, and play some good tennis. So I got... Uh, Halep and Osaka. I'm gonna take Osaka going into the finals, and I'm gonna have her facing against Azarenka, and I'm gonna have Osaka winning the tournament. What do you have? Oh my goodness, you stole my pick. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, you know, I have another eye is, uh, that I have is on Barty. Um, the reason why I think that she may have a little bit of a different tournament and this could be total hogwash. Um, but I feel like with COVID-19 and all that's going on, you know, I think certain players like her um, who put this, this extra pressure on a home slam or a home tournament, you know, you, you come against the disease that's killing millions of people now um, across the world. And, you know, you're just you're a tennis player, you know, and, and take it easy, enjoy the enjoy the, the moment and just play. And I feel like Vardy's there. Um, so I'm going to have Vardy advancing here to the semi, which I think is is going to be a pretty substantial type of result. Um, and although, you know, you're not believing in, in Kenan um, and you, you're thinking as I'm going to go with Kenan at the, you know, in the other I just think she's, you know, speaking of uh, the a-hole quality, she's got it too. Um, she's just, she's just nasty. Um, she, growing up, she was sort of nasty like that. She's just a relentless competitor, and she will literally do anything to win. Um, you know, and that that bodes well in Grand Slams because there's all sorts of weird stuff that happens in a Grand Slam, whether it's heat, colds, shades. You know, right? The Australian Open's got a lot of problems with 
um, how the sun is hitting the court and, and how the, the roof is casting a shade. And it's just so much nonsense going on that, um, you know, I just think she's, that's why she won this tournament last year is because she's, she's built like that. Um, one person we didn't talk about is either Sloane Stevens or Coco Goff. Um, you know, although I'm not, not buying in right now in, in, in that way. Um, I think they're important figures to, to sort of point out, um, you know, and, and interesting. Um, but I also obviously have Osaka and Halep in, in my, uh, semifinal in the bottom. Um, and there's something different. Remember, um, with Black Lives Matter and the movement and everything at the U.S. Open. Remember, I told you, you know, before that tournament, I was like, I was a believer in Osaka because I felt like she, she has the cause effect. You know, where she's playing for someone other than herself. Listen, that woman is super talented, super athletic, super fierce competitor. Now you're giving her a cause, a, a cause that is that is different than her in order to perform, meaning that she can bring awareness to things way beyond the scope of tennis. I think that one is all in for that kind of thing. And she's Japanese, she's African-American, she's got it all going on. She's worldly, how about that? We, don't, we won't label her from Japan, we'll label her the world. Um, and I think that that is gonna continue to catapult her um, up and up and up and um, I just I just see her being the champion that she is and and, and I see her you know taking out Barty in the final and I think it's going to be quite a spectacle um, in that match just because um, I think Barty will go through an exhausting one against Kennan and then um, you know Barty will have a, a surmountable and and unfortunately the the voices will get louder for Barty. Um, but I don't think it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be a, a lack of her ability to compete. It's going to be more that Osaka is going to take it. Yeah, and, and you know, just touching on Osaka, you know, Parsa, I'm not sure if you know, but currently she has 16 sponsors. And of course she does. Yeah, and it's just something I don't. I mean, you could you could definitely argue. I think Naomi Osaka will become a billionaire. I think by the end of this, it's very probable. If she can continue to go in this route for the next 10 years, there's no question she, she's probably going to be the first female athlete to ever be a billionaire. Uh, I think she will. And, 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 and Nima, if the, if the cause is there, she will, you know? So just think about this for just, we'll leave everybody on the women's side with this for one moment. Osaka last year in the single year made more than Serena Williams in a single year has ever done and Maria Sharapova or Anna Kornikova. These are probably three of the most highlighted, I mean, obviously two of the three of them are, like Kornikova I know wasn't a Grand Slam champion, but obviously very marketable and made a lot of money that way. Serena's the best player ever. And, you know, Sharapova was super marketable and she was crushing it every year in that category too with five majors and like not even close. So, and Osaka's much younger than both of them and already doing it. So this is like, you're talking everybody, you know, this is only what she's approved. Imagine how many people have reached out. There's only so much you can take on, right? Watches, you know, Louis Vuitton, Nike, like everybody's there. Everybody's going to, and they're going to continue to be there because of the uniqueness, because of the, the, you know, the causes worldly. that she can, yeah, worldly, because yeah. of the relatability and all of that stuff. And it's interesting too, because she's not the most outgoing person either which is also awesome.
Yeah, but that's that's what like what most people are going to be like that in that grand stage. People, that's right. It's empathy, right? People can can put themselves in her shoes and be like, I feel like that too. And it's and she's giving us the voice, you know. She's giving us the voice of the person who's who's nervous and subdued, but she is amazing. She is extraordinary, you know. That's that's what, she's very endearing. Her whole story, her whole thing is is endearing to everybody, you know, to every culture, to every. Um, walk of life and that and that's that's why she's she's being rewarded for it financially yeah and now she's very very rich too so there you go <laughs> moving now to the uh to the men's draw uh not i mean i'm gonna tell you right now Djokovic is gonna win this but uh in, <laughs> in saying that you're gonna have yeah i mean in the first quarter we have Djokovic, we have rarenka who also had covid i don't know a lot of people don't know that but i mean a lot, a lot of people do as well but he he's coming back I think he's gonna do okay. Again, super professional, former champion here, and you got Zarev, who is kind of adopting that Philippusis mentality, where he doesn't feel comfortable rolling in a second serve, so he's just trying to hit it at 130, and he's just gonna to have to make one out of two and and hope for the best there. But I mean, do I see at this stage in the game, Alexander Zarev? Or Stan Rarinka upending Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open? Absolutely not. Then you go to the bottom half. You have Team, who's the defending finalist here, who lost to Novak last year. You got uh, you know a, pop a popcorn match tonight with Shapovalov and Sinner, where I think Dennis will take that only because uh, Sinner is going to be tired. Um, and then, I mean, you got you know Dago Schwartzman also in this half here, but. I mean, realistically, it's probably going to be Novak versus maybe an unknown guy. Maybe team. Maybe team again. I don't know if I'm totally in on his. We got obviously Kyrgios here, who's got a very easy draw, relatively speaking, until he face. And I think he's going to want to face team in the third round. So that might give him some motivation. Uh, but again, I don't know how fit he is because his knee looked really bad against George the other day. So. I mean, I'm going with Djokovic to come through, obviously, in the top here. Then going on to the bottom half of the draw, really like what I'm seeing from Rublev. I think Tommy Paul might, uh, you know, surprise some people here, Parsa. I mean, American guy's got that surfer mentality, doesn't really care, and he's got that, he just gives you that vibe where he's super relaxed. But I think he's, you know, when I watch him play, he doesn't really mess around too much out there. He's very serious. So and, and I like that, and he's got a very deceptive kind of game. He's got very weird strokes, but I, I like I like it overall. I I would say. And so we got the two Russians here. We have, you know, we got uh, Rublev and Medvedev. Medvedev's got a tough one against Pospisil out of the blocks. So I think that's going to give him a little bit of problems. But uh, I think I'm going with Rublev to come out here, and then we got Sissipas. And Nadal, I don't think Rafa might not even play, so I can't really count on him here. Plus, he's got Hatchinov and Fognini in this section who might give him some problems. So I'm going with Steph Sissipas to come through there to face Rublev. Uh, and then I'm going to be going with Sissipas over Rublev to face Djokovic and then Djokovic winning the tournament. What do you think? Yeah, so I definitely have uh, Djokovic in the in the top half. Um I just I, I just don't think there there is any competition um, for him. The the one little wild card you didn't mention is uh, Bernard Tomic 
uh, he must need some cash. That's why he decided to suit up and uh, and stay normal and play tennis. I mean, what a talent! What a talk about another waste, right? Didn't they hang around a lot, Tomic and uh, and Kyrgios? Um, what a waste! I mean, this guy literally, whenever he needs money, he's like, "All right, I'll enter a professional tennis tournament and just qualify and make you know fifty thousand dollars, and then go back to chilling again for the rest of the year." I mean, it's kind of crazy. Um, that that he can do that so um extreme talent what a waste um so anyway so Djokovic I've got there in, in the in the little quarter that little half there in the top um you know tough one um because who's it going to really be um you know you also didn't mention Nishikori you know who's who's of sublime talents against Karina Busto right in the first round um you know, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen here. This is a little bit of a wild card to me. Um, you know, I'm, uh, yikes. Um, you know, I'm just going to go with class. So, so that means Dominic team. I'm going to have a Djokovic team semifinal. Um, and that's going to be based more on, on last year than anything else. I think, you know, I think team has figured out how to navigate the best in fives. And that's what is going to give me the little edge with him. Um, I think he's going to be battered and bruised though by the time he gets to the semi, if he gets there. Um, and I think Djokovic will clean house pretty easily there. Um, the, the other, other one that I think is going to be, you know, of, of somewhat significance is going to be, um, let's see here. You know, I, I understand what you're saying with Tommy Paul. Um, I understand what you're saying with Rublev, but I'm still, my number one Russian-wise is definitely Medvedev still. And so I'm going to go with Medvedev there um, in that section. And in the bottom half, which is another just wild, wild card, um, you know, talking another popcorn match, by the way, Tennis Sangren and Alex D. Minor is going to be a good one. Um, if you can catch that match, that's going to be a, a definitely a hard hitting, you know, just running and just going to be all over the place. Um, so, I, and, and I think pretty exciting. Um, the bottom half, I, you know, I don't know, Nima, the bottom half is just, is kind of open. Um, anyone can really come out. So I guess uh, I, I'm going to have to take CC pass there. So, and then uh, from there, I'm going to have Medvedev going to the final and, and facing Djokovic. And uh, unfortunately, Fortunately, whatever it is, I, I don't think it's going to be a great match in the final. Um, I think Djokovic is may win this tournament without dropping a set. Yeah, it, it kind of has that vibe to it, no? Uh, I think he's just going to put his head down, stay super professional, and just steamroll through and, and take care of business. And you know what? He deserves it. I mean, listen, if, if you can do that... Best player in the world. Yeah, that's it, right? And he's going to... I think he's going to also surpass... Federer's uh, number one, uh, like weeks at number weeks. one. I think that's coming up in yeah. March. So he's going to get that. And that's it. And then we'll see. And then, you know, then we'll next time we'll talk about on clay at the French Open, see what's happening there. But to me, I, it would just be shocking if Novak Djokovic doesn't, uh, doesn't win this tournament, man. The guy is just rock star down under. So, um, I think that's pretty much it, Parsa. I mean, if, you know, if anybody else has anything they want to add, they can always always hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and, and connect with us. Send us an email. Um, 
action does start tonight in about again like I said about seven hours so everybody make sure to tune in for 14 days down under keep us busy while we're, we're all at home hoping that this virus goes away as soon as possible again I'd like to thank Parsa for his time today thank you so much thank you Nima thanks everybody out there for listening make sure to connect with us on Twitter and Instagram you can follow Parsa at Parsa Sammy and myself at On Mars as well as Tennis Connected we'll have full range of coverage on the site throughout the fortnight so make sure to check us out there again everybody you mean it be well enjoy yourselves stay healthy and we will chat with you guys uh, next time on the Tennis Connected podcast